This is the Creative Life Show, celebrating being highly creative in a less creative world. I'm Joanna Peters, coach and mentor to professional creatives and creative professionals, and I talk to other creatives, innovators and thinkers about how we create, face down our critics, stay on track, get noticed and paid, and do the work we want to do. And I'm sharing the progress of my own book, all about creative people and how we thrive. Hello and welcome. What do you do when your successful life and career starts to unravel? That's one of the things we're talking about today with my guest Kay Hutchison. Kay started out in music, first at university, then radio and record companies before moving into TV in both creative and management roles. She went on to hold senior roles at companies including the BBC, Channel 4 and Disney, always in the TV side. And then she led the project around the 2012 London Olympics to ensure a legacy for the media centre there. She now runs her own content creation agency, Bell Media. But in the middle of all that, things started to not feel right or or not be so straightforward. Kay started a personal journey which is written up in a new book, My Life in 37 Therapies, From Yoga to Hypnosis and Why Voodoo is Never the Answer, which has to be the best subtitle ever for a book. (laughs) Kay, welcome. You've had a life steeped in the creative industries and you've come from an obviously creative background yourself. What does it mean to you at this point in your life to lead a creative life? Uh, I I think it's a huge relief and a a joy after being sort of, I would see it sort of in the wilderness where, you know, it's sort of strict uh, sort of business management career to actually find myself doing something that really is creative. And that's either visual, audio, um, the look of putting everything together. So I run a, a, you know, a small publishing company and I have to look at absolutely everything from the detail of the text to positions of illustrations to cover design. And I really find it very interesting and very, very nice that I actually work with a team of creatives that we build a relationship um, through our work together. I'm really interested that your first word you used to describe a creative life was relief. Because if you look at your CV or LinkedIn profile, it's Kay Hutchison, the highly successful TV executive. You've given all sorts of big projects and big companies, but getting out of it and doing being back to creative roles is a relief. Did it feel at the time that it was being frustrating or that you were being boxed in? I think I think that uh, that I only realised once it was it was kind of years later. Really, it took me a long time to realise that what I was doing, although it, it was actually rewarding, it wasn't. I had completely lost sight of my creative needs. I think it did feel as if I'd really moved completely into the business and management side of things, partnership side of things. And I was a little bit too far away from my creative roots. So you go on this journey as part of that. And that's what's what's made up this book, The 36 Therapies. 
37 therapies. I am going to challenge you straight away on this because in the book, you're basically working through a lot of things in your life and your relationships. You decide at the beginning of the book that your marriage is over and you need to leave your husband and you embark on this process of self-discovery and self-reflection and self-learning. And you go through 37 different different kinds, some which you've been using, I think, all your life and some which you'd experiment with. I think you've got 38. And the one that you don't mention is actually the process of writing a book. Was that a therapy in its own right? Well, it is in there, actually. <laughs> writing therapy is in there. It is, but so, yes, but not so, in the process of writing this book specifically. No, no, indeed. Indeed. Although some of the work that I did on the, the writing retreat, my very first one, actually led to me writing the book because, uh, first of all, I, I actually went because a friend was going and she wanted someone to go with her. And she knew that I was interested in doing new things and trying things that would help me to, to deal with issues that I'd had in, in my personal life. So I went along with her. But I discovered because we'd homework to prepare and it was Mavis Cheek was the, the writer, the fantastic author who was taking the group and she asked us to prepare work. And I just discovered when I started writing that I really enjoyed it and I couldn't stop. It was something that I had never done creatively for many, many years because all of the work that I'd been doing were, you know, sort of reports and documents and and uh, descriptions of, of services and uh, TV operations and how many, you know, audiences. And I think that it was really, really good that actually the creative side of writing suddenly emerged. And some of the writing that I started then, some of the, the things that I talked about have ended up in the book. But the book has been quite a while in the making because I like to get things as close to exactly what I'm thinking as possible. So it, it took a bit of time. I find the process of writing as developing thought quite an interesting one. I mean, I'm in the middle of my own book and I'm finding that. And when I'm working with my clients, it's what strikes me is that when you're telling a story about something that's happened to yourself, the way you tell it becomes the narrative. There's all, all the things you could choose to focus on in a particular experience. You're choosing to tell a story in a particular way. So the book is a, it's a series of experiences with perhaps different therapies and different therapists. Did you find that your understanding of what happened in those sessions, you were pinning it down and giving it a narrative by writing about it? Definitely. I think there's definitely something to be said about knowing that there's something there which is bigger than the kind of chapters that you write in about the different subjects. And I think sometimes it's best to launch in and see how that emerges. But I have to say for me, pretty quickly, the background story, the important story behind the, the therapies and what the therapies were revealing to me was actually about my background, my childhood, and how things had been set in my life by some very early experiences. And I found that absolutely fascinating. Were you aware when you were going through them of that theme as being the dominant one? No, because I had to really wait until I was actually with 
a psychotherapist, and there were a couple of other really amazing therapies that helped me to to see it more and more clearly. So I went on a yoga retreat and I met a wonderful lady who was an astrologer. And she offered, because she knew I was interested in in exploring reasons for things in, in my life, basically exploring what an astrology birth chart interpretation could reveal. So she did an interpretation. And in that interpretation, she first of all told me that I'd been looking at the wrong horoscope all my life, which was just... Yes, you come out the wrong star sign, don't you? So, you know, I, I was sure that, well, I was on the cusp, but I'd only ever, I mean, I, I was busy working, driven person. So if I was looking at horoscope on the way into work, I just, you know, flippantly looked at it and thought, oh, a load of rubbish, la, 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 la. And, you know, that's very interesting what Scorpio has to say. And at the end of her birth chart interpretation, I mean, that I was just unbelievable. I said, well, what about my star sign? You haven't said anything about my star sign, Scorpio. And she so I said, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. All of your planets are in Sagittarius. I mean, it's so heavily Sagittarius, which is a completely different personality type from uh, Scorpio. And the the other thing was that my ex-husband was, was always very, very dubious about these sort of things. So I, I kind of went along with that. Oh, yes, rubbish. But when I saw a properly done astrology chart with the interpretation of what happens around the time of your birth, the kind of parents that you have, the kinds of relationships you have, I was really astonished. And it made me less judgmental and more open to what it had to reveal to me. I find it really interesting in the book because you have this real blend of more what would be termed generally the sort of the new age things, although of course that's rooted in sort of ancient history. And then the much more sort of yoga and massage. I know yoga is also very spiritual discipline. And you you bring out yourself at the end, this the tension between what could be seen as preordained and actually then embracing, actually coming to realisation of your own background and how you are made up. Yes. Yes, indeed. How do you I, integrate those two things now? I think I'm just more open. And actually, I know that there's a side of me now which is more spiritual and more understanding and willing to accept those things than the person that I was before, who was actually quite closed and uh, quite focused on real things, just what, what was happening, very practical. But I think in being very practical and very keen on my career and working and, and pushing myself ever harder and going on even more amazing holidays and doing this, that, and the next thing and, and rushing around, I had lost, completely lost sight of myself and who I was inside. It was almost like I was a machine going through my life, and then suddenly I realised that actually, no, there was another dimension to the person that I was. And that meant it was someone who wasn't just using her mind for learning, but actually about work and jobs and and careers. But actually, I had a spiritual side, which is related to that part of the mind that was more intuitive and more respectful of myself as a human being and a person rather than just a kind of tool to get things done. That's a really kind of big, big insight from the whole process 
it, it seems to me. Was that something you've realised subsequently? So I think for me, so I've had in some ways quite a similar path to you and I reached fairly senior levels in management, in publishing, having come from a creative background. Mm. And it was only when I got out of it that I realised quite how far I'd got away from who who I was. But I didn't see it at the time. Yes. Did you have to be outside to realise or did you get outside it <laughs> because you realised? I think the whole thing that you describe about leaving my husband and it, it wasn't about him, it wasn't personal against him. It was really about me changing. And in order to deal with what was happening to me, I had to uh, escape and be on my own to work things out for myself, to sort myself out. I mean, ironically, it really is the truth, though, that I was going through the beginnings of the menopause, which sends your uh, hormones absolutely spinning all over the place. So there were a number of things happening in my private life. Um, I'd lost my mother to cancer. I'd actually ended up very shortly after that having to deal with my husband's cancer. Again, back to this thing about being a machine, I kept on functioning um, and hadn't dealt with it at all as a, as a person. And I think all of those things all bubbled up to the surface almost at the same time and forced me to sit up and take notice. And so what I, I ended up doing, although I felt very compelled at the time, I, I felt as if there wasn't really a choice that had to be done. I took myself right out of this life and started again and basically putting myself back together again, you know, bit by bit over the months and actually ended up being over the years. And the therapies, I think, helped put me back together again as a more complete piece, if you like. And it seems to me that a lot of your therapies are about somehow letting go of things, letting go of the past and letting go of beliefs and maybe doing it sort of gracefully. I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it because I definitely feel that I had, you know, these beliefs that I had come to to have completely in my life without any questioning at all, they were basically holding me back. And there was one particular therapy, which in the book I called the re-education, which was pretty grueling. It sounds and fairly fairly grim, I have to say. It, 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 it was, but just to explain what happened, we were kind of, I was really was trying lots of things and I thought, this sounds amazing. And the, the lady that was homeopathy practitioner that I went to, she said, oh, I went in this once. It might really be good for you. I think you're ready now. You're stronger now. You can go. And I trotted along there um, the first night. And it was the most amazing experience because they had a microphone up on the stage. And there were about 100 people in the room. And everybody in turn, even people that had never talked in public before, somehow the atmosphere and the ability to actually express something about the, the pain of their existence, um, it was all out in the open. So everyone, but one by one, would go up and would, would talk about, it was a bit of a pity me party, though, I have to say, but it was very cathartic for everyone. And we thought, oh, this is great. We'll come back for more. But actually what happens is when you go back, what they turn around and say to you is all of these things that you've been, you know, sort of, oh, yes, you know, blame my childhood, blame this, blame that person for the way I've become. 
you can choose. You don't have to accept that. And actually, these things, these beliefs, these rather sad beliefs have been holding you back in your life. And as a way to to really get some significant personal development, the course that I was on was about releasing all of that past baggage that you'd built up over the years so that you can actually, back to your point, Joanna, earlier, you can actually be the person that you are supposed to be, sort of more pure rather than, you know, full of other people's ideas. It's a very interesting and quite shocking way of doing it, it seems to me, getting everybody, you know, sort of indulging in this kind of my past and this is why I'm not, and then going, ha ha, actually, this is holding you back. This is, this is the problem. Very powerful. Yes, I, I think we all, I mean, when we turned up for the next session, you know, all ready to, you know, we'd, we'd probably thought of another few things that had caused us to have problems and other few things that we had not been happy about. We were ready to, to share those. No, 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 no. That bit was over. They were telling us, great, you've done that. Now you know what it is. And, you know, you might have some more ideas since last time. But no, we're here to actually help you release those things and it was a bit of a shocker and actually I did persevere because that's the kind of Scottish Presbyterian background I came from but it was very hard and especially hard for me because I had built this kind of fortress of you know what my life was about for so long. So one thing which I want to pick up on particularly and it's something which you have let go of it sounds as though gracefully, but it's not so obvious, is is the music. So we touched on the fact that you started out a musician, but you, you say in an email to me that you know your whole childhood was was spent surrounded by music. It's orchestras, it's choirs, it's doing that the whole time. And it's an escape. It's something very positive for you. You go on do music degrees at university. Yeah, it's so funny, music degrees. You know, why, why wasn't I happy with just one? No, 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 I had to have two degrees, but we'll come back to that. But yet you say there's a point where you've actually given all that up. And although, so we've, we've, we've traced a little bit of this life path about going more and more into the sort of the management and the business, the rational side. And now you're at the point of connecting much more with the creative side. But music is something you've decided to let go of. So yes. Talk us through that. So I think, I mean, I can give you the answer to it now because I think it all makes sense to me having, having looked at you know, back why things were as they were. But I think the music, as I explained to you in my notes, was really, it was the thing which sustained me and allowed me an escape from what I had thought of as as rather a a kind of lonely childhood. And And I describe it in the book as a sort of secret special friend. It was so odd, actually. But I would go into my piano and I could lose myself in the notes and the music and be taken to other worlds, as it were, that were happy, nourishing places. And I would listen to, I just loved Debussy and Ravel. I liked the Impressionist music. I loved Bach. And I would just play these pieces. And certainly once I just loved endlessly, if I found something that had the most beautiful harmonies, I could just play them for hours and be really, really happy. Mm, I can hear the energy in your voice when you talk about that. (laughs) 
But that led to, you know, you know, concerts and school operas and all those sort of things. So I was had a very active musical early life. Now, it's very interesting what we're discussing because I, I think it does explain what happened. As soon as I had decided, and this is really what I decided in childhood, that I had to get on, to be appreciated by people, to be cared for by my parents, respected by my parents, I needed to show them that I was clever because I'd always felt not that way as a youngster and I needed to plough my own furrow, that was music, and that I needed to prove to them that I was kind of worthy of their uh, love and respect. I mean, it's so ridiculous when you think about it now, but that is what was in my small mind. So the overarching idea was get on in life, be, you know, get on in your career and that will be good for you. Be independent, get on in your career. So, of course, I embarked on my career and it very quickly begins to leave behind the creative side. Not, not completely, but over time, the creative side got overtaken by the management side and the document making and the board meetings and the arguing cases and coming up with the arguments for the Olympic Centre, even as far as that. Um, it was much more about politics and arguing cases and, and looking at the stats. Mm, very different kind of approach. And the thing is that naturally, probably in, in my mindset, this was good because I was actually getting on in my career. And therefore, music, which I had envisaged from leaving my music degrees at Glasgow University, I thought music would be in some way shape or form in my career forever but actually I gradually began to leave it and you can't do both I couldn't be a professional musician or even a very active musician and also be sort of successful business person why not so something had to go well in my tiny mind it was about getting on and getting on meant being more in management and business and less in the creative kind of managing managing creatives. Right. So it was about leaving the behind the music because it was no longer relevant in some way. Isn't that sound so harsh? But I think that is what exactly what it was. But of course you can't leave it behind completely because inside musical sensitivity and appreciation was so important. So in some way, shape or form, music was always part of my life, even although I wasn't actively playing myself. And what about now? It's not something you're, you're choosing to return to now, now that you are more in touch with your, yourself, as you well, said. Well, I, I, th I think the funny thing is that music is, as I say, even through all the therapies, a lot of the therapies that I try, they're, they're very, very much about music and sound, or even the, even the silent therapy is a kind of, you know, is a kind of music, having mm. no music at all. But the sonic therapy with the gongs and the chimes and the bells, and that was an amazing experience. But I think that now I have a much more kind of integrated view of mu music. just moves me so much, and it, I think it moves me even more. But that doesn't mean that I have to play it myself. I can actually appreciate it in my life, in my head, in a, it's almost in a deeper way, right back to that little child who was escaping into the harmony of the music. 
that's what I love now. And I, some tracks that just are right for my mood and time, I can play over and over and over and over again, quite happily, much to my partner's huge annoyance. <laughs> so you have returned to it, but do you still have a desire to play or has that gone? No, I don't think so. I think I recognise that, you know, I, I got to quite, a, you know, I went to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music to to do the practical, the singing, the piano playing, the, the bassoon playing. And I took that to quite a, a high level. I am not going to start at my age to go back and, and try and do all the skills and arpeggios and, and start again. I'm much more appreciative of looking back on my life and what I did achieve and actually enjoying the real experts who've been doing it for years. I mean, funny, funny, if you, you were saying to me at one stage that you find that you draw certain people into your life. Now, I was, I was at a, a book event recently and I've met this amazing bassoon teacher, just totally out of the blue. You draw these people to to you and she is an amazing professional musician who absolutely adores the bassoon. So there are other ways that you can appreciate a musical life and I think that I feel very comfortable about that now. And I love the idea that it comes back to what do you do music in the first place? But just it doesn't have to have the overlay of mastery and talent and hard work with it. No, but just, no the, exactly. just the enjoyment. I'm just going to share one story for perhaps anyone else who's who's come from a creative background and moved into the management. So I spent several years as editor of a quite high profile international music classical music magazine, and then did a business masters, then moved into management roles and big companies. And when I first went into the very, very large company in a sort of senior management role, I literally wouldn't tell people that I did music and that I'd done a music <laughs> magazine. And I, I would sort of take my violin in because I'd be going to rehearsals afterwards. But I would kind of squirrel it under the desk. And I think, my goodness, that's so awful, the fact that I needed to apologise for something which is so central to my life. Partly my perception and partly, I think, me picking up something about the the environment which I was in and the expectation that somehow I needed to apologise for having come from a creative background. So if you're listening to this and you're in a situation that Kay or I have been in, then then don't. You can be creative and do business <laughs> and proud of it. <laughs> um, and if you're not embarrassed about it, then that's brilliant. And go you. <laughs> it, yes, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? This divide we have. I also think, though, there is a, an element, Joanna, of sort of gender politics coming in here because I do think that as a as a child, I mean I, I totally relate to what you're saying about hiding bits of your way because it wouldn't it would be inappropriate. And frankly, when I started doing all these therapies, I could tell that some people in my business were thinking, oh my God, what's happened to Kay? Well, that was in my mind. But actually I think that a lot of uh, women are brought up to believe that, you know, things that they might be really interested in and very, very much drawn to, particularly creative things, um, are are kind of, you know, hide them away because that's just sort of creative stuff. It's not really important, like business. And I think I was drawn into that as well. I think that's also why I ended up becoming a businesswoman because it seemed to be more respected in the business world than 
the sort of creative, the sort of flowery, you know, and it, there's still an overtone of the creative industries. I, I find it really interesting that the creative industries are seen almost as, you know, a craft work or something like that, even in the way that the government actually looks at the, the value of the creative industries. It still does see creative as a little bit of a, you know, it's, it's just a, a little, it's sort of down there, whereas we've got aerospace, British aerospace and manufacturing up here, they're really important. In fact, if you look at the details, creative industries are vastly important to this country and much bigger industry than is given credit. They are enormous, aren't they? Yes, we won't get into the data here, but <laughs> huge amounts of stats on the value. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that plays into the whole undervaluing of creatives and creative incomes and things, which feeds into the propagate the whole gender disparity yeah. and things. Yes, lots we could talk about. Yeah. So going back to your life now, has writing continued to be a part of your life? It It is. I'm finding I'm being, I'm being asked to write articles and, you know, there's a, there's a really nice piece coming up in Good Housekeeping magazine and various other uh, newspapers that I've written shortly. But I also recently was at a creative writing centre called Moniac Moor, which is Creative Scotland's writing centre. And I was there really to finish off my life in 37 therapies. But actually, I spent most of that time writing what I think may be a, a future book. Now, obviously, my focus is on 37 therapies uh, just now, but I'm very much aware that the ideas for another story are actually simmering away there in the background. And I do think that writing, once you start to do it, I, I think I will always do it in some way, shape or form from now on. I love that. And it's, my belief really is that people who are wired creatively, we have this energy that needs to be expressed <laughs> yes. in a certain way and it doesn't matter and it might take different forms at different points. And actually when it's not, that's when we run into trouble. <laughs> Yes, yes, uh, yes. It, it's against your nature. You really have a, a sort of duty to follow your nature. I think. I, I think so, and I think we've. I think our conversation today has shown actually that it, how easy it is to to fall off that, to to lose ourselves in in life and expectations. I, th I think people will, will probably look at me and think, "Well, I mean, you had everything. You know, you were so together." So having everything all tied down, how could that happen? And I think all else, all I can see is it just can. And it's somehow it's like your essential nature is actually saying, sorry, I've had enough of this. You've got to get back to who you are. Absolutely. Kay, where can people connect with you? As a publisher of books, which is what I do in my, my day job, as well as writing, but that's quite new. It's www.bellmedia.co.uk and Bell is spelled French Bell, B-E-L-L-E, media.co.uk. And obviously I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. If one of these fits with you, I'm sure you'll be able to, to find me somewhere, Kay Hutchison. And all those links will be at creativelifeshow.com with the notes for this episode. 
So, Kate, thank you so much for joining me and reflecting on that. And I, th- I think there's quite a lot here that will be, going to be quite relevant. I think as creators, we are always having to reinvent ourselves and discover what our current mission or meaning is and, and going inwards. Joanna, thank you so much for your questions. Really, really interesting and, and made me think about all the things that have happened in the writing of the book. Thank you for listening as well. And if this has resonated with you, then come over and, and drop me an email at joanna at joannapeters.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram. Again, all the links at creativelifeshow.com because I'd love to know what your insights are and what you would maybe like to do with them. So have a wonderfully creative week and I'll see you back here very soon. Bye.